Hello and welcome to the Hockey Hurts Podcast for December 28th of 2015. I'm Ryan Wilson. I'm Cameron Walsh. Uh, Merry Christmas. Happy Hanukkah. Happy Kwanzaa. I don't know if we have... time off work. (laughs) Yeah. Happy holidays. Probably the (laughs) easiest way to go about that. That's Um, the one. Welcome back. We had a little delay in this podcast because Christmas fell on Friday, yes, right? Did, yep. So, yeah, there was no way it was going to happen Boxing Day, and then you get Sunday, and it's just, I'm assuming today is Monday, so this will do. Yeah, so this week, uh, not going to be quite as Penguin-centric as the last uh, month has been. Uh, oh, thank God. <laughs> talk a little bit about the Columbus Blue Jackets and, and how they really uh, haven't improved at all under John Tortorella. Uh, Montreal, and how it's kind of a flip of their fortunes this year it's uh they're a better team but carry price is out and they're struggling a little bit uh we are the team we've referenced like every single week the last month but not actually getting into uh we, we will talk some tampa bay lightning Woo-hoo! and um maybe get into a little bit with the pacific division it seems to be like an intriguing division in the sense that it's very wide open. Oh, it's, yeah, it's big. We'll get to it when we get to it. But we will start with Columbus, who are still the worst team in the Eastern Conference. And, you know, they're, they're a mess. And, and they brought John Tortorella on because they felt like they needed a, a motivator, a hard-ass coach, all that, yada, yada, yada. And now you have them treating their best player like a piece of crap. He did not play the last 10 minutes of tonight's 3-2 to two loss against the Florida Panthers. His name is all over uh, trade rumors. And that would be Ryan Johansson. So that's kind of where they are right now. I, it's, when we plan to do this podcast, it was like, let's just, have a look at the Tortorella effect on this roster, but uh, you made a really good point in that let's sort of take it back a little bit further as well and have a look at the composition of, of the actual roster itself because you were really strong in, in your opinion of forwards look all right, but that back end is a tire fire and Bobrovsky really does cover up a lot of problems. And he started terribly, he's now injured, They've got nothing to cover up for, for those errors. You have a look at some of the decisions that were made by the front office, and this is the result that you get when you ignore possession and ignore and, and put more emphasis on um, intangibles rather than um, what would you call them? I don't want to call them statistics. Talent. Rather than things. Well, well, yeah, well, there's that too. That's actually probably a better way to put it. They seem to want to nullify the talent because it's not working hard enough then try and work out how to get the most out of the talent. That's a really good way to look at it, yeah. Yeah, but Borofsky, when he's in, is like average, maybe, if that. So... That's an advantage that they've been accustomed to that they're not getting right now. Mm. But, I mean, just 
think about being in that locker room with John Tortorella and watching one of your best players being put on the wing, not being played the last 10 minutes of a one-goal game. I mean, what kind of points are you sending other than you don't know what the fuck you're doing? You you and I both said, like, this season is a lost season, right? So if you get there and look at it in the, the bigger picture... You don't have you to make it a lost number of seasons. Like No, yeah. They're exactly. railroading Ryan Johansson out of town. Yeah, if you if you pull it back and you look at it in regards to the next couple of years, they're really strong front runners to get that number one draft pick and whether they do want to pick up Austin Matthews or whether they want to trade it away to get other parts that they think they require. Because, you know, I think Ryan Johansson is a legitimate number one centre. Brandon Dubinsky is certainly a number three centre. He's just paid like a number two. two. That's, no, he's good that's too. It. He's good. So do you get there, though, and say you're that bad and you're lucky enough to get the number one pick? You take Austin Matthews and you bump Brandon Dubinsky down to the third line and you have Kamat and you, and you have Ryan Johansson playing as your second line centre. If you go and alienate Ryan Johansson, you're going to have to get rid of him. And if you're another team that gets that number one draft pick, you're asking for Johansson plus something to get that pick. Like, I just, I don't understand where this mentality comes from. Like, I remember when Kicker Lyon took over, I was very upbeat for Columbus, but move after move after move has just shown that I don't think he has, I don't think he either has total autonomy from those above him, or he doesn't really know what he's doing. I'm not sure which one it is. Well, there's a move that they made that I thought was good, that didn't work out good, and that was signing Nathan Horton. And but that's unfortunate. Yeah, that was, that was unfortunate. But I know there's some people that feel as though the David Clarkson trade wasn't bad because, well, if you're going to be paying money, you might as well have somebody playing. And I guess my feeling on that would be why not just eat the Horton money and pay an AHL guy minimum rather than have David Clarkson. Oh, that's the, that's a legitimate argument right there. No, disagreement at all on that it's an interesting attitude to take we'll just fill up that cap space that we didn't insure with a player that is fourth line at best but we're paying as a you know low level first line winger like so Brandon Saad trade was obviously their big move this past off season and, and he's been okay but and that blinded a lot of us you know, me, me included in that, that that particular trade. But I think they they miss Anisimov. And even though Don, Marco Dano hasn't done a ton for Chicago, I think, you know, in due time he's going to. Yeah, but, they, the, but that's the thing. Like, he might be out of the Chicago lineup, but he was in the Columbus lineup. Losing him out of that lineup has proved... Um, effective in a sense, like they've really felt that loss. Which one? The Dano one. 
Yeah, he was a uh, 2.35-ish points per 60 last year, even strength. Sod's not hitting that right now. And Dano wouldn't have continued to hit that, don't get me wrong. But, like, to lose Anisimov and that production from last year, Sod was never going to replace all of that. So you could argue that was a kind of a step down from what they were getting last year. I can't blame them for making that trade, though. No, I really... it's... it's... It's not a bad trade, but Saad isn't quite like a star winger. He's in that kind of... He's good, don't get me wrong. But you know what I'm saying? Yep. yep. Well, you think about you think about what the Penguins gave up for Phil Kessel. What was the, what was the one player on the actual active roster that they gave up for Phil Kessel? Spalling. There you go. Whereas Marco Dano was a much larger piece of what Columbus had on the ice. So that's that's probably the big one. Yeah, Nisimov. Yeah. There you go. So they gave up two. Uh but then you I know you you I think Brandon Dubinsky's okay. I think he's dirty, but good player, but he's making five point eight million until twenty 21 Nick Felino, they you know career high shooting percentage last year he'll never probably hit those numbers ever again they got him till 2021 at 5.5 million I don't think they'll you ever know, get value out of that I did I just that that's that baffles me that one in that everybody in the stats community looked at and has gone well there's no way he's going to replicate that shooting percentage again yet they gave him all that term and all that money. If they gave him that money minus the term, I can probably live with it. But just the refusal to accept that that was a career year is is just like there's been no trend for that shooting percentage to go to that point. Nope. And then their next highest paid forward is David Clarkson. Yeah. And, and that's still 2020 at 5.25 million. Yeah. <laughs> that's so that's so freaking bad. Um, and then Scott Hartnell, 4.75 mil. And Scott Hartnell's been a good player for for a while, but that's going to start to uh, go away because he's getting a little bit older. And that goes to 2019. So yeah. not a lot of speed burners outside of Saad in that group. Well, even Ryan Johansson at Fulmin is not lightning on his skates. He's just he's very good with the puck. Yeah, but he's going to be gone. They're going to they're going to move him. Yeah, they will. He'll go. So it's basically like Columbus, you know, appeared to be trending in the right direction, and a couple of gut feel sort of moves from the general manager have really kind of shafted this team. Yeah, That's I, the, I just don't. Yeah, in that division too. I mean, I, I don't see them making up any ground anytime soon. And and here's here's the problem: making a coaching change for the sake of making change, and not really having a what I would call a legitimate replacement for who they got rid of. Because I, I think Tortorella's philosophy on hockey is old hat. I think it's the game's moved past him now. Um, 
and his adversarial attitude towards everybody trying to make it us versus them doesn't work with a lot of players in the modern age. It, it really doesn't. You know, Mike Sullivan made an extremely big and concerted effort to make sure that his players and everybody in Pittsburgh knew that he wasn't the hard-ass that he'd been made out to be being under Tortorella. And I think there's a very big reason for that is because players just switch it off and then they just get there and go, I want out. And then the trade yeah, if you're not be, winning so, with a hard ass, <laughs> no one likes that it. is not a good place to be. And if the Vancouver experiment wasn't enough for John Davidson to actually understand that what, what happened at the Rangers was um, less the norm and, and more the exception, then... Well, that's Kekalainen's fault for allowing that to happen. Well, it's not to say that Todd Richard should have like kept his job a super long time because that, I mean that. What were they? Oh and nine, one and nine, whatever they were. I mean the season was oh, that, like that shots the first ten games. They were terrible and terrible. The season was gone. But you don't just you don't go out and fork out a three year deal for a coach that. Like I said, I I think's past it. So obviously there were values upon which, you know, Tortorella said that he can bring that they thought were valuable, and I can appreciate that argument. But there was sort of nothing at the end of his time in in Vancouver and, and what he did after that that made me think that this would be any different in regards to the way he treated his players. It's just, you know, it worked with Vinny LeCavalier, and then all of a sudden he seemed to think that he can treat everyone that way. Uh, it just it's not the case. So, Todd Richards, at the time of being fired, Columbus was forty-eight point nine score just at Fenwick, which is you know not great. Yeah, but it's not the worst in the league. But their even strength save percentage was eight fifty-seven. So, gee, I wonder how they lost so many games early on in the year. Um, their goaltending was abysmal. And they were paying seven point something 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 for that goaltending. Since Tortorella's taken over, their score just at Fenwick's forty seven point three, so they've actually been worse since the coaching change. But I'm assuming um some of the wins they've actually gotten, you know, the goaltending has gone up from the eight fifty seven, which it always was going to do. Uh I, I just think they could have made a coaching change and not brought in some uh, one of the most abrasive pricks that's probably in the game. And yeah. and then alienate one of your best players in the process. Didn't he call him out of shape and now he's not playing him in one goal games? Um, yeah. He's a cornerstone of that franchise. You get there and you go, who are the, who are the players that the management have signed to sort of key roles in that situation? And you go, it's Brandon Stard. Brandon Dubinsky, Ryan Johansson, and as much as we think he's a waste, it's Jack Johnson. And then you've got Ryan Murray coming up to, to RFA. There, and, and you've got Probrovsky, right? So first thing the coach does when he comes in is alienate probably the most talented out of all of those names that we reeled off. I just I don't see how anyone can logically think that that's, that's going to work. That's the thing that just, it just baffles me a little bit. And do we trust the um, current leadership in that organization to 
maximize a Ryan Johansson trade. No. Goodness, no. So, they're not in a good spot. I know we've been hard on Pittsburgh the last month, but I like where they are more than Columbus. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it helps that, you know... Both short and long-term, by the way. It does help that they've got Crosby and Malkin, who are, you know, elite of elite, even though they're pulling out of that of that little window of theirs in regards to that level. But, you know, their bad nights are usually better than most other players' good nights. I'll tell you what Columbus needs. They need Sonny Milano to be Johnny Goudreau. Yeah, <laughs> fair enough. I don't know if that's going to happen or not, but that that's something they need to happen. Uh, is Reichel ever going to be a player? I don't know. But every, the, the thing that's really funny about you saying that, though, is... Every team needs a player to come out of nowhere. Out of nowhere, everybody needs a clean bird. You look at you look at Dallas. Like one of their biggest problems last year in regards to them falling short of making the playoffs was the fact that back end was atrocious. Now, Klingberg has has helped solve a lot of issues back there, and that came out of left field. I don't care what you say when you draft someone that low in the draft. You had no idea they were going to be elite, and he has been elite this year. Well, Columbus has uh, Wierenski, who's playing for U.S. at the World Juniors, so they may have a little bit of help on that front on the way. But Ryan Murray has not lived up to quite the billing of number two overall yet. Injuries have been a part of that. Yeah, and he's only 22, and ignore the injuries. There's a chance that he can still develop into that anyway. Correct, but then you're left with Feder Tutin, Jack Johnson, David Savard, Dalton Prout, who went machine gun cross-check on Sergei Plotnikov. And I walked away. <laughs> um, it's such a bad defense core, you know? Yeah. No, it's, it was, you You know, you called that early when everyone was, was talking them up. He said, I'm not as bullish as most. And the back end was the reason why. Um, and when their saving grace had a terrible start to the year, this is the result that you get. Panic moves and just continual to spiral. Like I'll give I'll give Anaheim credit. They've they've stuck with what they've got, they've trusted the process that they've planned out, and they've they've stuck with the coach that has been successful for them. So it's it seems as though it's the players that are falling short there. And just as much as it was was the players for Columbus, but, you know, Anaheim haven't gone and fired their coach and replaced them with a Muppet. Yeah. Basically, the rest of the Columbus season will be how much Tortorella pisses a lot of his players off and what does uh, Kekalainen do with Ryan Johansson. That's pretty much what you're looking at for... Columbus storylines moving forward, right? I think so. I mean, Columbus is it like Columbus aren't mathematically out of the playoffs yet. I remember last year when they were they went on a massive run, and everyone thought, "Well, this is building into next year." So, well, their if, massive run was six game loser in the first round. Yeah, right. Yeah, they didn't make. Did they make the playoffs last year? No, last year they got knocked out mathematically 
early because they didn't have oh, a roster. Oh, they had a lot of injuries. Yep. And okay. as soon as they were knocked out mathematically, they went on this massive run and everyone was like, oh, well, this will just carry over into next year. I don't know whether some of the players bought into that. And that's where the, the season started so poorly. But when you've got a safe percentage in the eight five hundreds, then you know that I, I don't think it matters what the coach does, you're still going to lose. I mean, Tortorella couldn't even get this team to collapse down and help save the goaltending. So, you know, just an idiotic move, I thought, at the well, time. Well, I guess Lundqvist isn't back there. Yeah, it's usually the problem, isn't it? So, I think that pretty much covers off Columbus. Poor bastards, right? Well, you got to feel for the fans. Every time they feel like something's happening in a positive direction in that franchise, I mean, they got absolutely spanked by Detroit in the in the playoffs one year, and then the franchise sort of seemed to go into a tailspin. The, they seem to be trending in an upward direction, and then... No, Pittsburgh, ignoring Marc-Andre Fleury, sort of handled them pretty well. And then it sort of seems to have spiralled out again. So, you know, you hear the rumours of cursed franchises. Maybe Columbus is one of those. Nah, they're not cursed. They just need to make make better choices. Um, so you want to hit up Tampa or Montreal next? Um, hit up Tampa. Okay. So, big story, obviously, Stamco stuff, and, and, you know, that's been well written about, a lot of podcasts already about it. Um, he's he's going to get traded. That's my feeling. I just have a, a quick question. The argument with that is it's because of the triplets line, right? And... You'd make because they're basically the way Cooper's played it. They're the number one line. Stamkos is basically, uh, I think it's the right wing on the second line. He's not even getting a chance to play center anymore. I think uh, that's a lot of the discontent too. Yeah, yeah. So if you get there and look at it, the only issue I have with that is that Tyler Johnson can't stay healthy, and you're going to get there and trade away, you know, a player that I consider a franchise center who you've been playing out of position for the last two and a half years for parts that you're hoping accumulate to the same sort of production that Stan Coast provides you. So I'd look long and hard at what you do with your extension with that triplets line in regards to what you're going to get production-wise on the ice. It's one of the arguments a lot of people make for Latang in Pittsburgh in that you go make that extension for him and you can't stay on the ice. So where's the value you're going to get cap space-wise? with Latang on and off the ice. Same thing here with Tyler Johnson. It's one of the reasons I think Tampa have really struggled this year. They can't get a steady lineup together. Yeah, the triplet line has not been there for him this year. I think Tyler Johnson's only played in... Uh, let's see. No, I didn't write it down. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I had. I didn't. Um, not his, 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 he's not playing in as many games, and I don't think the production's quite been where it has been. And that's tough because, I mean, the way he was going last year, was he was one of the best points per 60 guys in the entire NHL. 
Yep. And to have that fall off, that's a big deal for that team. I think he's only played in like 23 games so far this year. Yep. Something close to that. And I think he's only got like 11 points maybe. Sorry. Yes, 23 it, games, this, 11 points. That's what he had. And, this is, and last and this, year he had, sorry to interrupt, he had 77 no. games and 72 points. So, like, he's not only down not playing, but, like, his production's way down. He had 29 goals and 43 assists last year. That's yeah. great. But they don't but have that. That affects his linemates as well. So... You look at this Tampa team that's in and out of a playoff spot, in and out of a playoff spot, then out, out, out of a playoff spot. Um, it's it's a tough decision for me in regards to because you, you're right in theory you trade Stamkos away unsigned, you're still going to get something nice back. But if you can do a sign and trade, then it's a little bit different. You're going to get more back for him again, but I would. You got to get him to sign that, though. You know, I know. I would if I was if I was Tampa. I would do differently to yourself, and I would. Well, what you said earlier, I would sign him. I would give him ten mil over five years to make it short. Not going to do it. I would try give him a shorter term deal and say, if you want to bail after that, you can bail. He's not going to do that. He's got all the chips, hasn't he? He's if, got all if the. Tampa's got... signing him. It's going to be eight years. Well, then they're going to be paying him ten mil. <laughs> well, I was going to say ten and a half because, yeah. But you get you look at that and you go, okay. So that means you're going to have to get rid of. Well, not get rid of, but somebody is going to have to leave. Well, let's be honest. That Ryan Callahan contract is going to be a lot of it is a huge reason why they don't have this wiggle room. He's going to make five, oh Jesus, five point eight million until twenty twenty. And they signed that deal. I know they didn't, it's insane. They didn't bring that deal on. They they signed that deal. And there's that albatross contract that really screws around a balance of a, of a lineup when players come off the RFAs and you know, gots to get paid, when you have contracts like that for ageing players whose production is declining, it's really, really hard to retain that mid-tier player at a decent clip because you can't put them in. You, you, you've used that money elsewhere uh, inefficiently. Bishop well, might be their solution. Bishop can help. And I know we've talked about this uh, yeah. by having uh, Vesilevsky come in and, and play, but if you if you look at what they have coming up next year, they have quite a bit of work to, to do. do. Yeah. So RFA is for next year. Alexander Kalorn of Vladislav. Nemestikov or Nemestikov. Nikita Kucherov. um, Coburn is a UFA, which, you know, he'll probably go on his way. They they may even trade him. T.S. Oland. He's not playing. No, but he's on injured reserve, so it's a whatever, whatever, because he'll come off the cap and it won't matter. 
doesn't have. They've already got his cap space because he's on long term injured reserve. So, um, Nesterov. I mean that that's not huge RFA, but but then they have to kind of think about what's coming the year after that. Victor Hedman's a UFA. He's going to get seven, eight mil. He's that good. Yeah. Uh, hey, Jonathan Druin. The thing that's weird is they got Anton Strawman signed for four and a half for forever. That, when they great deal. deal. Great deal. It was. It really, really was. And it, it's sort of what makes you get there and think, you know, they've, they've sort of got it worked out. But then, like, I love Valtteri Philpola, but he's not worth five mil a year. No, but that's one of those that you can kind of live with a little bit because he can actually play with the puck and do some things. Yeah. Is he scoring, though? Yeah, to, to, me, to me, it's one of those things where they they are probably going to have to bite the bullet. I don't know. He had 58 points in 13-14, 48 points last year. Uh, this year he's down. 12 yeah. points in 36 games. The whole the whole team's down. That's the that's the the crux of the problem here. And I, I think players are playing out of position because Tyler Johnson's in and out of the lineup. In and out of the lineup, like Andre Palat's out as well. Jonathan Druin, who who our opinion of 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 what he should be doing is is uh, has been stated quite often. Um, it's it's it, I suppose it shows you how. Unique it is that Chicago have managed to be so good for so long um, in that they've managed to get the Stanley Cups and win and not totally fall off the map. They got some cheater deals going on. I fully appreciate that argument. I mean, you could almost call freaking Anton Strawman's deal a cheater deal, even though they didn't cheat to compile it. Um, but you have a look at, like, you know, Pittsburgh lost to Detroit in 08, managed to get back there in 09. And usually the teams that lose the Stanley Cup really struggle to follow it up again after that. So it'll be interesting to see whether Tampa can get this shit together and actually make a push. That Atlantic division is interesting in regards to the way it's sort of pounding out at the moment. Those fancy cats are starting to prove everybody right. Yeah, yeah, Yager doing his thing. <laughs> yeah, they're... That's interesting too, because with with Yager and Campbell being UFAs and and, and them being in first place, that kind of takes two very interesting trade chips off the market. And yeah, that's exactly right. They have to just walk into that and walk away with the cap space that those guys would provide. That's the it's just how it works for them, really. Uh, but back to Tampa. The last thing I'll say about them last year. They were 53.3 score adjusted Fenwick. This year they're 51.6, so they're not as good, but still not but terrible. Still good. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I still think they'll make the playoffs, and if Tyler Johnson gets healthy with the triplets, a lot of this is going to be predicated on what they do with Stamkos. So uh, if you get there and you say you think they're going to make the playoffs right, I... Who's going to fall out? Who's going to fall out? 
So, yeah, I can't I can't see who's going to not make the playoffs. Like Ottawa and Boston are proving that they should deserve right to be in there. I can't see Montreal continuing to fall apart when Price gets back, even though their offense is drying up on them. Who's gonna Who's gonna fall out for Tampa to get back in? Ottawa. Yes, I don't know about that. Ottawa's their terrible. possession the possession numbers are not great. I fully appreciate that, but you yeah, know, that's, I've watched that's, a lot of that's that. That's how Boston. they're going to fall out. I watched a lot of that. I watched a lot of that Boston Ottawa game today, and if Craig Anderson can stay healthy, I think they'll win more games than they lose when they should lose them. I think Tampa will get them. The East is, is far more interesting this year than the West, which feels strange to me, considering that the West is considered better. Yeah. I still think Tampa will catch Ottawa, that's for sure. And who's to say they don't catch Boston? Although well, Boston surprised me. We ripped on them quite a bit in the offseason. Yeah, we did well. Yeah. But I think Krug just got hurt. That's going to hurt. I suppose that's the thing with that lineup, isn't it? They're so thin that any sort of injuries, and they it could really, really affect them, like a key injury to someone at a certain point. And it, it, like if they lose Char for any length of time, you can almost say that season's gone. But. Boston certainly aren't alone in that assessment of, of depth. I mean, Florida lose Campbell or Luongo or Barkov again, they're in serious trouble. You could see that with that full lineup in, Florida are good. But isn't that the argument for Tampa? They've been without Tyler Johnson for a lot of this. Drew and yeah. that stuff, yeah. they'll get them back. Yep. Start looking a lot better, so... That's that's the theory, but Tyler Johnson's proven this year that he's in and out, in and out, in and out. So they get him back. Are they going to get him back for a long enough stretch of games that everyone feels comfortable again? And that's the bit you just you don't know, isn't it? And I'm not so sure that they don't catch the other team that we planned on talking about, and and that's Montreal. And they're a curious case because they're actually playing good hockey for the most part this year, they're the third best score adjusted Fenwick team in the NHL at 53.3%. Yeah, but over their last 10 or 11 games, I can't put anything in the net. No, you're right. And, and in, you know, they've got a goalie back there that's human, not Carey Price, so the margin for error for not scoring diminishes greatly. They're 53.9% in the month of December, so it's not like their play has fallen off. No, but their players have got to put the thing in the net, don't they? Yeah, pretty much. Because it's one of those things where the argument for the Canadians was, do they just keep playing the way they were and just trust their goaltender will stop pucks? And it seems as though they have, because their possession numbers haven't dropped away, giving the impression that they've gone more defensive. But even with the way they're playing it now, they can't seem to get the thing in. Is losing Brendan Gallagher and changing up their lineup hurting them that much? It would appear so. Losing Gallagher hurts for sure. He was having a nice year. I thought. 
Yeah, it's just it's it's funny how you lose a player out of the lineup and and you want players to take take on that challenge and step up and and try and fill that hole, but sometimes it just doesn't happen. They don't mesh with the other guys they're playing with and they can't read off each other. And this is what happens. Well, here's Montreal's issues, really straightforward in a nutshell. Playing well since December 1st, so the last month, you know, kind of is the time frame where they've uh, struggled, gone on their 1-9 and nine streak. They're 1-9 and nine in their last 10. Mm. They are 30th in the NHL. And their shooting percentage at even strength at 4.2%. So the place where they're lucky as opposed to other teams that are going to hit walls like this, they had such a great start. It gives them a chance to get the season back on track without having to make any stupid moves, without panicking and overreacting. But their goaltending has been bad in December. 892. So, they're PDOs shot right now. Process seems to be good. And and wasn't it always the opposite? Yeah, PDO it's, high. It's funny, it's funny how that works and the perception on how things are with them. Like, oh, what's wrong with Montreal? And it's like, well, getting Price back is going to solve a lot of that. And they're going to start to score again. It's it's an interesting case because I, I always had this sort of feeling or thought process that the PDO train for a team usually was all season, either great or, or terribly. And it's usually one team's at the extreme end of, of each end of, of, of that PDO train. But Montreal seemed to be having a heckle and jo- uh, Jekyll and Hyde sort of a season this year with that. Yeah. And the, the, there was one thing in um, October at the RIT Analytics Conference, and uh, Matt Pfeffer, who, who works for the Canadians, uh, was, was on the roundtable, and he was talking highly on how uh, Michelle Therrien was open to, to listening to a lot of the analytics stuff and, and how he didn't want to kind of know the ins and outs of it, but he just wanted to be told, okay, give me... Give me the lowdown. Just tell me. What's the deal here? So that was kind of interesting to hear because I think most people would think that he'd be a guy that would be just like, F that. I don't care about none of that. Uh, But Matt Pfeffer was saying the opposite, and their process seems to be a lot better this year. Yeah, and and you you can run with that. He's probably sitting there going, good grief, I changed my process, and look at the results I get. So <laughs> I know, and isn't that the toughest part of it all? That yep. sometimes in a in a sport of controlled chaos, you, you don't have that much control, and no. that's the way it goes sometimes. But over the the long haul, they're not going to go one and nine, having a fifty three percent possession rating. No, so. and it's game thirty seven. They've got just over forty something games to to get it back on track and be all right. And that unreal start that they had for the year has given them this this buffer. I mean, you know, I related back to to Pittsburgh and where Pittsburgh are. They've got no buffer room. 
Like, they've played much better since their coaching change, but they basically have to go three and four the rest of the way. They, they Like, three and one, they have to get three wins out of every four games that they play. Otherwise, their season's just going to eke away. Yeah. So, Montreal will be an interesting team to track. I think Carey Price, three more weeks? Does that sound about right, or...? Uh, yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd predict mid-gen. So, yeah, three weeks from now would be about right. And it's probably going to start getting tight for them um, to be in the guaranteed spot and not just in the wildcard spot. I mean, they're only, they're only one point ahead of Boston and Ottawa with, you know, one or two, and the other two teams have one or two games in hand on Montreal. So without even playing a game, they could end up falling and falling, you know, into a spot that, they wouldn't want to be in or think that thought that they'd be in after the start they had. Well, now looking at the standings, Detroit second in the Atlantic, their gold differential is only plus one, so maybe a little bit of fool's gold on that front. They've been up and down all year, Detroit, and I think a lot of it's got to do with, with Mr. Datsuk. Fair point. Getting him back's huge. Yeah. So him in the lineup, they're, you know, very similar to the Babcock Detroit teams, him out of the lineup, and, and they're a mess. So, you know, they, they haven't worked out whether they trust Jimmy Howard or whether they want to go with Peter Morazic either. So while stats still up in the air for that team, it's always going to be an interesting watch for that record-setting return to the playoffs. So... Well, the East certainly no shortage of uh, interesting storylines to kind of track moving forward. If, if you have a legitimate, if you have a look at the points, like forty-two points at the moment gets you into the playoffs. Pittsburgh and Philly are five points behind that with games in hand. Buffalo starting to drag, Buffalo starting to drag themselves out of a chance for a playoff run so you get there and go you've still Maybe. got <laughs> they got some issues coming up you know what i mean though like you still got mathematically even though some of these teams aren't playing well they're still not out if you know what i mean like they're not toast well, they, if you go... they may be losing a left winger <laughs> well yeah let's sort of talk about that on another day uh <laughs> evander uh, kane being who were kind of referencing there yeah there's something wrong with buffalo and canes yeah it's weird coincidence <laughs> but um evander same similar situation well we'll find out more but yeah it's actually a very similar situation to the patrick kane stuff so um yeah. not very fun not great not great podcast material as far as I'm concerned, but uh, to your to your point about Buffalo making a, a leap in the standings, um, we'll see how that situation shakes out because I don't think they can do much of anything without Evander Kane being a consistent threat in their lineup. So Correct. Not to drag the podcast down, but to hey, the Buffalo it, point, I mean, he's, he's a big part of that. If we wanna if we wanna try and slowly transition across to the West, there's you're gonna get five people 
You're going to get five teams from the Central in the playoffs this year, but there's a plethora of Pacific Division teams that could make the playoffs yet. Like yeah, that's, that's the thing. You look at Anaheim, they're five points out of the Pacific third place and they're terrible at the moment. But they could still make the playoffs. Arizona's second place in the Pacific Division. Vancouver's third. Nobody predicted that. And no. If you did, you're a damn liar. <laughs> or going to be a very rich person at the end of the year if it holds up. Arizona's goal differential right now is minus 14. Vancouver's is minus 11. They're second and third place in that division. Yeah, so all it means is when they lose, they lose big. And then Calgary's minus 22. Man, they, I, An- Anaheim is minus 21. They have not had it. I'm, a lot of people pick them for the Stanley Cup final. And... I'm not going to make fun of those people because I think it was a pretty reasoned approach. Yeah. That has just not played out the way that uh, a lot of people thought. And and I don't think I made any division Stanley Cup picks before the year. Did we? I I think we deliberately went out of our way not to. Okay. So (laughs) we spoke about everything, but we never, I don't think we ever actually, ever actually put our dicks on the line to, to get them chopped off if anything went wrong, and maybe it's not a bad thing. Well, I didn't have Anaheim being the worst team in the Western Conference and only three points better than uh, the tire fire that we led the podcast off with. Uh, so it's a really weird division. Edmonton is 6-3-1 and one in their last 10. They're, they should be getting Connor McDavid back, which is a huge boost because he was he was putting up points. Yeah, and look, the thing that's great about that is that the Pacific Division being so bad, Edmonton could backdoor it into the playoffs. Better that than an Austin Matthews lottery. Oh, for uh, Edmonton, yeah. No, I, I agree with that. It's just one of those for things where... For the NHL, where, that is. Oh, yeah, it, you, do, you do look at it and you, you just go... I kind of feel sorry for, for Dallas at the moment because they're going to end up with... One of Minnesota, Nashville, or Chicago as their first-round opponent. And I don't think that Dallas would want to play either of any of those three teams with the way that the game prototypically gets called differently in the playoffs. I wouldn't. I don't think I'd want to play um, Minnesota in a, a series that gets locked down. Yeah. I think Dallas just needs to keep being Dallas. They're plus 38 goal differential. Our, our opinion on Dallas is well noted. Yeah. And how, how about their hockey is well noted. So I, I hope that they just play the way they are and they blitz it and they just go nuts. But we've mentioned the Pacific Division, but we haven't mentioned the division leader. And the Kings are quietly pretty great yeah, in this year. They, they're um, 54.4% score-adjusted possession. They're consistent this year. I think that's probably the biggest thing for this hockey club is that they've been various... Their lows haven't been as low and their highs haven't been as high 
with their output, and I think that's been really important for them winning games. Um, the whole flick the switch when we need to thing, I think, might have gone out of their vernacular, and they're they're making sure that they get as close to 100% effort from as many players each game as they possibly can. Yeah. Which really helps. Uh, and I think they avoided a, a big issue with Jeff Carter got hurt the other game. And yeah, really, I don't I, think it was serious. So well, that's, not that's losing him is pretty great. Uh, yeah. Considering he's their leading points per 60 guy at 1.79, which isn't great, but you know, you but don't you want look to at, lose your best. No, but you look at the way that team plays. I, I think if you had a different coach, I think there's a few players on that team whose offensive production would be a lot better. It's that, and that's a. The Kings are a very tough kind of. You have what you said is probably true. You may be able to open things up a little more offensively, but at what cost? I mean, they're they've been a dominant possession team, two Stanley Cup championships, based on this approach that they've had. So, oh, there's no reason for them to change. It's just, it's one of those things where the lineup that has been constructed for Sutter to coach fits the way he likes the game to be played and how he thinks the game should be played. So he's got big bodies. A lot of them can skate um, at least to an average or an above average level. Um, he likes to clog up the neutral zone. Um, really likes to play interference and basically tries to slow down the opposition team and win games on the counter-attack. And he's got enough highly skilled players to do that. Uh, it's when guys like Marion Gabrick get out on two-on-ones, suddenly they become a massive threat. But they're more than happy to sit back and and slow other teams down through the neutral zone and get them on the counter-attack. It, it's, I, I read a tweet today. There was a team that had two minutes, 41 seconds of zone time without a shot. And then the other team went down the other end and had two shots on goal and scored on one of them. So zone time's not the be-all and end-all. What you actually do with the puck's more important. No, and I think kind of where the coursey kind of simplistic approach of it is it, shot attempts, something towards yeah. the net. And, you know, not all shot attempts are created equal. Obviously not. Um, no. There's high danger chances and scoring chances and all that stuff, but... At the end of the day, if you've got a shot attempted, the other team's not getting one. Correct. And, so, and, and that's that's how it works really well with with that um, LA team. They don't give you a chance to, to get any shots. So don't sleep on LA. As no. a you know, team that, even though they're playing in a Division that's not necessarily great. Um, you know, they've got some results. They're plus nine goal differential. They're they're sitting on top of that bad division. But I can't imagine too many people want them come playoff time. Oh, I would think not. I, you know, the, the way that team's constructed, it suits the way playoff games are called. I, I don't think anyone would wanna would want to play them. 
And who knows what trades they make. You know? Who have they got that's, that they would have to consider moving due to contract? Is there anyone? Well, they better strike now while the iron's hot because they got some really bad contracts on their books. Dustin Brown leading the way. Yeah. I mean, him and Callahan are similarly bad contracts, except Dustin Brown's goes to 2022. Good God. Shows you how good that Marion Gabrick contract is, though. That's under five. I know it goes through until all of eternity as well, and, and he'll be skating around with a, with a walking stick, but that's still, that's still a good contract. Carter's is good, 5.2. Yep. Yep. Kopitar, you know, he's going to get his 10 times 8. Yeah, but you're okay with that. <laughs> well, you got to do it. And, yeah. and and that's just the nature of doing business. But it's also funny when you, you talk about Kopitar signing that deal and everybody being okay with it. He's currently 28 years old. His birthday is August 24th. Sidney Crosby is 28 years old. His birthday is August 7th. And people are giving shit to Sid for not doing enough. And in a bad year for Sid, his points per 60 is at like 1.7 and Kopitar is 1.5. Well, once again, that's expectations and perception that, that warp that particular part of the conversation. You know, we've discussed it before. They probably should have had a couple of extra Stanley Cups in there, but when your goaltender craps the bed and your two best players are out with injuries, it's not all that easy to do. But you know what I mean? Like everybody's like, Oh yeah, you gotta sign that guy and then like people crap all over the Crosby Malkin contracts are the same age. Yeah. No, I I, I the, the argument you make there is perfectly sound and reasonable. But, you know, pay, pay your those, best. usually those conversations come from emotion and disappointment. Yeah, pretty much. And as a general manager, you have to avoid doing that as well. Like, it's all right for us fans to do that. As a general manager, you can't make knee-jerk reactions without looking through everything and, and seeing what you're giving up. If you trade away Crosby or Malkin, or if you let Anze Kopitar walk or Steven Stamkos walk, You've got to look at it, not just what you can get back, but what it is you're actually losing. Because mm-hmm. you, as you've said on numerous occasions, if you trade away Melkin, you don't have Melkin. You trade away Kopitar, you don't have Kopitar. And just speaking from a, a UFA standpoint with them, Lucic is a big one for them. Well, he's going to want to get paid. Can't go long-term on him. No. Otherwise, you're in that Callahan-Brown scenario. Yep. Uh, Erhoff probably won't retain him, I guess. Does that mean they're going to rely on Braden McNabb and Jamie McBain to be there? So I know that Matt Green's on injured reserve, but it, it feels like if Erhoff goes, they're sort of short one puck mover. 
Mm-hmm. So it's it's Matt Green to the minors. Oh, did they? So it's well, popping they, up. I think. Unless I'm yeah. reading this chart wrong. And then this is this is where this is where the whole Voinoff thing starts to bite them on the ass. And in reality, it should have hurt them a lot more by actually still having his cap hit on the goddamn on the goddamn roster. But that's a different argument. Or Mike Richards. Oh uh, yeah. I mean, that's the thing. This LA team should be absolutely screwed cap-wise when you think about it. The decisions that that were made by Lombardi. It is Lombardi, isn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah. Like that, I don't understand why he gets a, a free pass on the whole. We should have freaking got rid of Richards, but we didn't. So we'll just make sure he gets busted at the border and then bail on him. I just, <sighs> Anything else in the Pacific? Um, no, I think I think I'm Pacific out. Shall we Pittsburgh it up? Yeah, Pittsburgh it up. Let's do it. <laughs> Where shall we start with this team? Uh, positive, Matt Murray. Yes, th- uh, three games. Adjusted save percentage of 950 in his three NHL games. So, so he's okay. When, when he's been playing, short, small sample, team has not missed Mark andre Fleury. Would you have played him tonight on a back-to-back? Um... Uh, Probably not. Just because. I well, I wouldn't have played Fleury on a back-to-back either. So. Not that he can't handle it, but. Oh. You know, and, and even working in hindsight, um, Zakoff only technically gave up one, even though it could have been as high as five. Really. Yeah. Um. No, but Matt Murray's a bright spot, and that's going to be the most interesting development. I think it's their most franchise. I think, I think what I think how he develops is more important than what happens with Pouliot over the next couple of years, because of what it does contractually for that franchise and what they do with Fleury moving forward. If Murray continues on the path that he's currently on, the the Fleury decision becomes more and more apparent that Fleury will have to get traded just purely for the cap space reasons. That's the... Not to mention what they might actually get. Yeah. And and you get there with that, and I think that's larger than the Derek Pouliot issue that they've sort of managed to create at the moment and and moving forward. So if, if he keeps tracking the way he does, they've managed to come up with a goalie that will probably help extend that window that, you know, I, I was probably going to assume would close. I worry about the team actually executing a deal like that. Hanging on to $6 million goaltending when they can get it for under a mil. Yeah, I, th- I think they're probably going to do it a year later than you want. That That would be my concern as well. 
I mean, you know, I get a lot of feedback as a Penguins writer. And, you know, I get emotional tweets towards me after losses and that kind of stuff. And, you know, some of them are trade Crosby, trade... None of them are ever trade flurry. It's like this weird... Dynamic that I just don't understand. Like it's okay to just bitch about Crosby Malkin, but I think Flurry's the obvious one of the the quote unquote core to move. Well, you've got an immediate replacement for him. Like that that's the thing. Like and with Murray being as cheap as he is, you get there and go, if he gives us average or slightly above average goalkeeping for a million, Flurry's on what six is it now? Five seven five. Five seven five. So you're gonna save yourself four and a whatever it is. You can go out there and, and get that defense and all that other winger that you need for this, this team to continue to compete for a Stanley Cup when you've got your two superstars uh falling off their peak but still being elite. And it's those tough decisions that I really do wonder at times whether general managers can separate the emotion from those sorts of things. And I suppose it's one of those things that using the analytics can usually help you do. But you've got to have a coaching staff and a management group that want to use them. So what do you do with Murray? Um, Flurry trade doesn't well, make sense this year. So No. Uh, I think you and I agreed that he should be the backup next year and Fleury should only play 50 games. Murray should play 30. No, that's and next year. What about right now? Right now, I would have played. I would have played him tonight. No, no, I mean like. And I would. I would. When I would Fleury's back, does he I go back pick, or does Zetkov go? No, back? I would. I would send Zetkov down because I, I think uh, Zetkov is too flighty. He reminds me too much of what Fleury was like before last year. And I don't think this play, this team plays in front of him as well. I mean, it didn't help that they were missing their number one defenseman. But um, I would I would keep Murray up, and I I would play him every fourth game the rest of the way. And I'd get him used to playing up in this environment. In I regards may even to go two flurry, one Murray. I, I I probably would agree with that. I just don't think I just can't see that happening. No, That's I all. can't. I can't either. I don't see that as a realistic uh, thing that's going to happen, but Fleury plays too much. I agree. Look, you and I have, have said that all year, that Fleury was pushing for 60 games. I actually think this time off is going to save his back end of the season, um, particularly when you get into those games at the end of the year that, because points haven't been scored earlier in the year, become more and more like a playoff game. Um, I think that having a lot of workload on Fleury between now and, and, and game 60 would be really, really smart. And having him only play, well, I said three or four, so having him play 15 out of 20 um, is lighter than the load he was playing. Um, and two out of three is probably better again. And you don't have a coach that's coaching for his job, so you don't have a guy that's just going to run his starter into the ground for short-term gains because yeah. of job situation. Yeah. Uh, it would be, you know, you and I are definitely walking along the same path here, but 
the reality of that happening is, is, is pretty low. I mean, I know, I know that Murray was Sullivan's goalie in Wilkesbury Scranton, and I have no doubt that he has trust in Murray. But if you've got your starting goalie coming back, I can't see them doing a a two one split out of three games. No, more, no, that's not happening. Would be more likely to be three or four, and it wouldn't surprise me if it was four and five. You know, at four. Four and one, so you know you and I are definitely thinking the same path there. But I would keep him up now. I would just keep him up now and just play because I I don't think the drop off between Murray and Fleury is that large. The team would play much differently in front of him. I think, regardless of what they do in the immediate future, I think Murray needs. Okay, they may not make the playoffs, but say they did. I think Murray has to be the the playoff backup. I agree with that. Yeah, I, I fully agree with that. If Fleury goes down with an injury, um, you are not having Zatkov be your starter in the next game of that series. It's just that's just not going to work. And so it's pretty clear at this point. Matt Murray is the number two goalie in the organization, flirting with number one within the next year and a half or so, and. You know, that's not a bad place to be for Pittsburgh. No, and it it will take a ballsy general manager, whoever that is, to actually trade Fleury away around about the time you've been suggesting. So that's not an easy trade to make. I don't think it should be... I I think by that time, Botterill will have the job when it comes to that decision. We'll see. Who knows what will happen on that front. Yeah. um, I'll rephrase that. I hope it's Botterill that has that decision. Team gets sold. Might think might so. not be anybody uh, around that. No, that's a really good point. That that entire front office could change very quickly. Um, Sid's been better. I know, I think he will get better again when Bennett gets back on that line and Kunitz drops down to the third line. And I, I, I think Porter needs to be out of the lineup. The puck just dies on his stick so much when it, it's, it's being cycled. Like, Cullen and Fair have got some kind of mental love affair going on at the moment when they play together. They seem to know what each other's doing, and then the puck ends up on Porter's stick, and it all just dissipates. Whereas it didn't feel like that was happening with, with Wilson or with Sherry or with even with Plotnikov out there as well. So, and and Porter is a, an upgrade, yeah. From from the Sills and the Glass and the Adams, yeah. so it yeah. just goes to show just how far behind Pittsburgh's been the last few years with that kind of stuff. And I'm probably going to overplay this because it's a visual thing more so than uh, offensive output. But Trevor Daly has been a godsend to watch in the sense that he gets the puck and the first thing he wants to do is skate the thing out of there. He wants it gone and he wants it gone in a rush. And to me, it kind of highlights the flaws in the safe and steady approach that you get from Ben Lovejoy. And you get Latang back. Um, Wasofsky comes out of the lineup. It would be really nice if you could go Marta Latang. Dumoulin, Daly, 
Lovejoy and Cole. And to be honest, I would much rather have Daly running the power play than Latang at the moment. Yeah, that trade was... Um, it was good. Scuderi can't, can't have it. And Daly has his own shortcomings, but at least he's looking to do the things that Scuderi couldn't do. And for me, I'll live with that. Yeah, he's playing to his strengths, and this team needs those strengths out there. He, he's interesting in his own zone at times, but the idea is that the Penguins get the puck and then just move on. Not about stopping shots, it's about having the puck so the team doesn't get shots. So, daily for me, can do that and get the puck at least out of the blue line with some form of control. Um, and it, it, it's a vast difference. This team's played much better now that the... The team's been given the the all clear to be aggressive again. Mm-hmm. You can actually see them pinch down the wall. You'll, you'll often see, and you'll often see even Lovejoy, who and, and Ian Cole, who are two players that you know have struggled at times. Cole, in particular, has looked a lot better, but he's at least been aggressive in situations that are natural to him rather than thinking to go and then pulling back because that's what he's been told not to do. Players look like they're, they're playing more to their strengths than, than holding back, which is nice. It's a nice change of pace. It is. And as disappointing as it was that they lost and the game against uh, Winnipeg wasn't particularly exciting, there were moments where the the, the team looked like they were going to flourish and, and finish off. And all credit to Hellebuck for some of those saves he made. Um there were definitely more flourishes in that game than we, we saw um, in a lot of games with Mike Johnson in control. They've been better under Mike Sullivan. It's oh, just yeah. that they don't have the wiggle room to not get results like tonight, losing one nothing. Yeah. They've actually been the best possession team in the league so, since Mike Johnson <laughs> or I'm sorry, Mike Mike Sullivan's hiring. See, having them both called Mike, I've done that a couple of times myself. I think I had it in the blog today. Yeah, it's been, yeah it's, score it's, Justin it's, Fenwick under Mike Johnson, 48.7. Under Mike Sullivan, 57.9. And yeah, yeah that's only six games and doesn't, actually it doesn't include uh, the Winnipeg game. But the Penguins did outpossess Winnipeg tonight as well. So They're, 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 they're playing better. But they have to get tangible results soon, and they can only have games like this. One in every three or one in every four would be better. Like they literally have to go three or four the rest of the way just to get themselves back into a chance to get a wild card. But the bonus they've got is that the teams that are in front of them in the Metropolitan, they've got to play them. They've barely played anyone from their own division that's in front of them. That's what, that, so, that can be good and bad. Well, this is the thing, though. If this team's going to get back into the playoffs, they have to win games anyway. You might as well beat the teams that are in your division so you can catch them. That's the situation they're in, and they're they're going to have to play them in the playoffs anyway. So this year has to be different than last year where they dominated every other division except for their own. Well, remember how we beat up Montreal for their shooting percentage? Well, it's one of the reasons why they've they've had such a bad run, yes. Since Sullivan's been hired, 3.4% for Pittsburgh. Only team worse? Montreal, 32 So, is that, little, little is PDO that, issue. 
Is that a symptom of just an increasing volume of shots and not an increasing quality shots? Like, you know what I'm trying to ask you, don't you? Yeah. So, theory being, increasing volume, if your shooting percentage stays the same, you'll score more goals. But are the shots that they're getting an increase in in situations where they should be going in? Or are they just more shots from the outside? Uh, I will have to look up the high danger chances. And I wasn't expecting you to know the answer, but it was more a philosophical question than anything else. And so if they are just throwing more pucks to the net from anywhere, then that shooting percentage is going to drop until they adjust and get more high percentage chances. Um, Well, high... What's the abbreviation here? This is why I do this High danger time. scoring chances for per 60 since Mike Sullivan's been hired. Penguins are fourth best in the league at 13.2. Right. The team they played tonight, Winnipeg, is actually number one. Columbus up there. Number two, believe it or not. So Pittsburgh would want to get off that bad luck PDA train pretty quick before it sticks. Yeah, but they're getting they're getting looks, they're getting yeah. volume. So yeah, it, in write theory, it out. It will go, but we've seen that PDA train stick on teams, and Pittsburgh have no wiggle room. They can't afford to have games where they get a lot of high uh, uh, high danger zone shots and have a bad shooting percentage in that. They can't afford that to happen. Like you said, they've lost their wiggle room. Which they actually built up some early in the year, un- unjustifiably so. Yeah, but that one and nine streak really hurt them. Um, I, I, I can't watch Hornquist anymore. Yeah, I got that impression from uh, just uh, flitting through my Twitter feed on occasions. He has to be. He has to go back down to the third line, and they need to bring Bennett up, who can handle the puck, um, and replace his spot in the top top six. Even if that means Kunitz goes onto the second line with Malkin and um, Kessel. I can't. I can't do it. It's just unskilled rubbish. A lot of it and hard working rubbish. Hard scored, scored a power play goal um, against Minnesota. Certainly did, but you know that's one of those gimme goals. You know the puck sitting literally on the goal line from a position that David Perron is often in anyway, and that's one of the people or Kunitz for that matter. I mean, yeah, one of the... going hard to the net is one of these over not not overrated in that it's not overrated that. People do it, but overrated that it's some kind of skill. It's overemphasized that some players are better at it than others. And David Perron has shown a propensity to sit himself in front of the net um, and get hacked and whacked, and Kunitz certainly does it. Um, but, and they, as, as much as you know, you, you've, you've pointed out that Kunitz's hands have gone, his hands down are still better than what you're getting out of Hornquist at the moment in regards to generating play. So it, it was really noticeable for me tonight watching that 
watching Hornquist just dump the puck in into a corner where there was no chance for anyone to go and collect the puck and not even attempt to give and go with a player at the blue line to try and generate a controlled entry. It, it really does stick out in situations when you've got someone running down the, or skating down the other side of the ice and the puck's dumped into the wrong corner. It's just this decision-making, I think, that frustrates me. I think I had a tweet that his dump-ins per 60 is infinity. Yeah, that was, well, that was you. That's right. That was you. I read that. And it is. There's never a controlled entry. There's never controlled passes. It's always just Dump and creating more work for line mates. And when they create all the work for you, he's not finishing this year. Um, and that's what something he's done okay in, yeah. in the past. Yeah, and that highlights the deficiency in regards to his puck handling is that he's, he's not helping in other areas when his goal scoring is down. So it, it's probably another reason why players that are good at possession um, help you out more as a team because when their scoring dries up, they're at least doing other things to help the rest of the team do well. And Hornquist is lacking in those areas this year. And he's not a great shooter, despite the previous goal totals of other years. You know? No, some of those goals that he's missed, like the net full stop, have not been great. But Kessel's suffered from that this year as well. Yeah, but he Kessel's at least... double digits and goals for all, yeah. you know, he's... And doing other things as well. The puck's not in his zone as often as it is in the other zone. Yeah, they they got to trade Hornquist. I know we've said that before, but it, it's got to happen. The, the pros and cons, you weigh them out. It's not even... shouldn't hey, even look... be... The timing of Bennett coming back can facilitate that, you know. Uh, you can't rely on him, though. No, I know you can't, but they might have to. It's it's the thing with what they've got. I mean, everyone's preaching that this team needs another top-four defenseman. I actually think they've got that defenseman in their system. Um, they've just bailed out on actually trying it. And I still think that if they bring up another puck-moving defenseman, i.e. Pouliot, I think this team's actually, even as constructed with Hornquist in it, is still good enough to make the playoffs. And then you just go for a little bit of luck or a little bit of goaltending hotness and you, you might be okay. I'd prefer them to get a an external top four defenseman as well as bring in Pouliot. But you've got to give to get. And it's is anyone going to bite on a Hornquist? Because that's who you'd have to give up. Because I'd prefer to keep Kunitz. If you had to keep either or, I'd prefer to keep Kunitz with what he provides outside of his lack of goal scoring. I'm fine with getting rid of both of them. Oh, I know that. I just don't think that's realistic. I think if you were to power rank the underachieving wingers that fans get upset about, I think Perron's the best, Kunitz is the next, and Hornquist is below him. Yeah, but he gets away with it because he works hard. That It's that, it's that visual perception again. I know. They all work hard. One just looks like it. With a shit stride. Ugh. Perception is everything. Is there anything else, Penguins-wise, you want to cover? Do we want to cover off on on the Tang's sword jaw, or do we want to just walk past that? Unfortunate. Another one of those hits that... Um, didn't have much to do with puck possession. 
ended no, up with an injury. So I will give the officials credit. They saw it and, and actually called it, actually gave a two-minute minor on the ice. A lot of those often get missed. But Mike Sullivan in his seven games has only had Latang in the lineup once. Yeah. And it just so and, happened it was one of their best efforts yeah. of the year. Yeah. So Latang's want, plus minus will be at least zero by the time he ends the ends the year. So if you want to think positive for Pittsburgh, um process has been better since the coaching change, and that's only been with uh one game with with Latang, so If he can somehow get back his get back into the lineup, that that could pay some real serious dividends. I mean, Latang had two points, yeah, and was above seventy percent possession in that game. So, you know, he's got to play. But head injury with him, I see, makes it's... you wonder why they put him back in that game. Oh, I, I just think it's because he passed the concussion protocol test. Simple. It's it's one of those things where you can get yourself whacked around, get up, feel fine, and it can take 24 to 48 hours to suddenly have all the crap that you, you get from a concussion playing up on you. It's weird because I know I must have had concussions, but I don't remember ever, like sitting there being like, oh my god, I, the lights are too much, the sound is too much, I feel woozy today, like, I don't recall ever having that internal discussion with myself. Lucky! <laughs> yeah, but there, there had to have been concussions, style of play-wise, I know. There I, had I to know. have been something I, there. It's I just weird it that, you know... These players are at least self-aware now to help themselves out, and I can't even pinpoint one when (laughs) I don't – there's no chance I have some kind of flawless non-concussion record of all the hockey I played. I mean, it's absurd to think that. So I've come out of all of the football that I played with with one concussion that I can remember, and – I remember it because my head hit the got my head hit the ground uh, through a tackle, and I did have the blurred vision in the instead of there being four goalposts, being about twelve goalposts and stuff like that. But I didn't really understand it. The feeling went away really quickly, and and I kept playing. So it is good to see these guys be much more self aware of what's going on. I mean, my and youngest brother had to retire, quote unquote, retire. Uh, from youth hockey because of concussions and yeah so it's not like it was lost on me at the time it's just a weird thing because i know i had them but i can't empathize with because i don't remember kind of going through uh i guess those symptoms maybe yeah maybe, maybe i did but you know we'll see we'll see if i get the cte problems later in life who knows, <laughs> who knows? <laughs> I hope not. Yeah. Ditto. Noted. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, I don't know. Anything else? No, I think that's it. All right. So, back after the holidays, got um, 
Yeah, when does New Year's fall? Friday again, I think. Okay, Friday again. So kind of messing up our schedule a little bit, but um, it's... we'll be back in, you know, an acceptable amount of time for our next podcast. Um, HockeyHurts.com. Walsh 66 on Twitter, at Gunnerstall on Twitter, HockeyBuzz.com, HockeyPerspectus.com, and donate to the podcast on HockeyHurts.com if you so choose. Thank you. Until then, see you next time. See ya.